0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the twenty-seventh of June, 2010, entitled Blinded Minds. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Here's Pastorality Curtis. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 1. in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful privilege that we have to be gathered together in your house this morning. Lord, for this church, for this place that you've made available for us to use for the freedom and the opportunities that we have to gather here. And Lord, I pray now that you would help us not to waste this time. I pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds would be focused upon you. I pray, Lord, that truly as we uh, listen to your uh, word this morning, that the desire of our heart would be that our minds and our hearts might be opened, that the power of your Spirit may take and use these words to find a dwelling place within us that might in some way change our lives. Because, Father, we know but that's what your word is there for, Lord, to change us for all e- of eternity. And we pray that as you know the need of each heart here this morning, that you would meet those needs as only you can. For it's in Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen and amen. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, of course, first begins here in chapter 4. He has been speaking of the ministry, the previous verses leading up to this but he's speaking here of this ministry that we have and that this ministry is being handled honestly, not with craftiness, not with any kind of deceit whatsoever, but simply by truly putting forth the Word of God in its truth and its honesty. And of course, as God's Word goes forth, he says to us here in verse 3, but if, when that truth is preached, even under, under the power of the Holy Spirit, if our gospel be hid, it's not hid to them that have seen it, to them who have accepted it and believed it and it has changed their lives. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, to them that have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. And of course, he goes on to give us a reason in whom the God of this world, who is the God of this world? none other than Satan himself, not because that he has such power that he has somehow overcome God to be the God of this world, but he is called the God of this world by God himself because at this time, this earth, this place that you and I live upon has been turned over to him. He's called the prince of the air. He's called the God of this world only because God has allowed it for a time span. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest or unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So he says, we we have this ministry. and We're not trying to con people. We're not trying to deceive people in any way. We're putting forth the word of God in all honesty and truth. But if that gospel is not seen, if it is hidden from anyone, it is them that are lost because the God of this world is blinding their minds. Because if that light of the gospel were to get through, then of course Satan would lose total control of them. They would come to see the glorious gospel for all that it's worth. Now, I wonder, I'm sure that how many of you have ever taken a driving test to get your driver's license? you haven't, you've missed a lot of fun. You should do it sometime. But part of the, of course, the the theory in being able to learn to or be allowed to drive on the roads of this land and most lands of the world, one thing that you have to learn is this little thing called road signs. You know, what do all those signs mean that as you drive down the road, they give you information about what to do and what not to do? And of course, there's a certain amount of those signs which are known as warning signs or danger signs. They're a specific type of sign, and they're there for a reason, to warn you that there's some kind of danger, either if you go somewhere that you're not supposed to go, or you go somewhere that you can go, but you don't stay within the limits, whether it be the uh, the speed limits or uh, distances from the uh, from the edges that might fall off or whatever, they're there to give you warnings that danger could be there. You know, some people pay absolutely, they've, they've had to learn what they mean in order to get their license, but then they drive and they absolutely pay no attention to them. Have, have you ever heard the saying, you know, are they blind as a bat or something? We know they've got eyes to see, but even though their eyes are looking, they seem not to be seeing something. People can do some amazing things sometimes. I actually honestly read a story one time of the man that literally was, was driving down the road. And he was driving across, and, and, of course, the road ran out, and they were supposed to detour, but he went straight on, and there was all kinds of huge warning signs that this bridge was not finished. But he drives along with his family and, and literally just drives off the end of the bridge. And we find that uh, people say, well, how could he do that? <laughs> I mean, those big warning signs, how could he absolutely, you know, was, was, was he blind or something? We use those, those terminologies. And of course, most of us could give illustrations. Matter of fact, sometimes many of us, even as believers, have possibly been guilty of not sticking to those warning signs as close as we should. We suddenly found ourselves in dangerous situations because we've been maybe pushing the speed limit more than we should have. We're not uh, taking caution that this is said that this might be a, a slippery patch or an icy patch and things like that. The danger signs are there for a reason. But, of course, we find that sometimes even though people are physically seeing them, they mentally have not seen that sign. It just hasn't registered. That's sort of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Sometimes people can actually physically hear the words of the gospel, but they haven't really heard it, Because they're blind, their minds have been blinded. Their minds have been blinded. It's not registering there. Now, I guess that uh, uh, many times within this world, we realize that, uh, uh, you know, blind people have certain limitations. It's amazing how people can overcome these things. And, and a blind person can learn their way around, they can memorize things, and sometimes they've got their little stick, and it's it's a, it's amazing the perception that they can have and whatnot. But you know, no matter how well that person learns to cope without that physical sight, they can miss some things. They might know that path perfectly, but they may not know that suddenly there's some kind of roadworks that's taking place on that footpath in a warning sign has been placed up there to warn them, we find that even though the sign is there, they simply can't see it. The Bible's saying to us here, Paul says, you know, we're, we're not trying to deceive people. We're not trying to, to in any way con anyone into anything. We're honestly putting forth the Word of God in its truth, but the gospel is still hid to some. How is it, how is it that a person can sit and they can hear the gospel being preached in truth, sincerity, in power, and yet even after hearing it, they simply do not get it. They're simply still willing, even though that the danger has been put before them, they would choose to continue to go. Well, you know, sometimes it just absolutely mystifies me. And particularly in those cases when when it's been clearly obvious. There have been many people over the years that I've had the privilege, either whether it's preaching from the pulpit or dealing with on a one-on-one basis, that have come and it's been clear that the Holy Spirit was gripping their hearts, that conviction was there, that they'd come to understand that they were lost that they'd come to understand that they needed the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they just wouldn't do it. Have you ever had somebody that you have cared about, that you've either got along and and got them under a gospel message, or you've sat there and you witnessed to them themselves, and they just won't respond? Sometimes you just want to take a hold of them and and shake them, you know, and give them a good shake if it would do any good. Say, what's wrong? Can't you hear Can't you see the danger that's before you? You don't accept Jesus Christ. Don't you see your hopelessness without Him in your life? And most of us have experienced that. But you know, the reason it's so frustrating for us, Brother Chris, is because we can see it. Our eyes, our hearts, our minds have been opened to the glorious light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we can see it clearly. What I want to say to you here this morning, you see everybody here this morning, either your eyes have been opened or you've been blinded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the God of this world, Satan, I can assure you, he wants to blind your mind. He He doesn't care how many times that you hear the gospel, as long as you don't respond to it. (laughs) He wants to keep you blinded to it because he knows that if he wins this battle, he doesn't win you for just now, but he wins you for all of eternity. He knows that it doesn't matter if the words are there and the signs are there, he can keep your mind blinded to it, and he will. Win the battle. You see, we have to realize, folks, that just as God has commanded us to give the gospel message to every living creature, no one can question that. That is a responsibility that's been placed upon us as believers to take that word into all the world. But each and every one of them, just as surely, has the ability to say no just as well as to say yes. The truth is, though, many times, though they may say no to the gospel message, no one can say no to the consequences of rejecting that message. Everyone, one day, will stand before God, our Creator, our Holy God. And as they stand there, they will give an account for themselves because if they're at the great white throne of judgment, they will have no advocate. There will be no one there on their behalf. They themselves will give an account for their lives, for their sins, for what they've done. We find that the Bible even tells us, and this is why I say this message is twofold. The prophet Ezekiel, he talks about the possibility, and, and, I, and I'll be quite honest with you. I've read it and I've studied it, and I don't really fully understand it all but I know it's something I don't want. You know, he talks about there being the possibility if we fail on our watch for their blood to be required at our hands. That passage doesn't get preached a lot. But you see, the truth is, I don't want their blood required at my hands. Whatever that's going to mean one day, I don't want it to be my fault that they're spending an eternity in hell. I want to have known that at least for me as an individual, that I've done my part both in presenting the gospel to them in its sincerity and truth and having the life, the testimony that I've lived before them, that they can see Jesus Christ in my life. Every human being will face God at one of the two judgments. And what I want us to think today as we think of this, because if you're here today, maybe Satan has been blinding your mind Maybe you've heard the gospel. You've heard it preached. You've heard God warn you that if you die in your sins, you will one day face God with those sins to your account. Maybe you've heard the wonderful good news that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross because the wages of your sins were death. But he died in your place so that you could have life so that your sins could be forgotten, so that they could be wiped out. Maybe you've heard it all, but you've never responded, because though you've heard it with your ears, or you've maybe read it with your eyes, you've been blinded in your mind. The Bible says if the gospel is hid, if you can't see the gospel, It's because the God of this world has blinded your mind. Recognize your enemy and what he's trying to do. And if you're here today and if your mind has been blinded, then I pray that today would be the day that you would take off those blinders and come to recognize and understand what God has done for you. Christians, it's vital. This is not deep theological stuff. This is plain, simple, everyday stuff for us. We need to be sharing the gospel with our lives and with our words, with everybody that we're in contact with day in and day out. They need to see Jesus Christ in their life. I don't care what other business you have with them. I don't care how important you are to their life. There is nothing that's more important than that they see Jesus Christ in your life, not just with your words, but with all of your being, that Christ can be seen. We find that we need to understand that even if we are being genuine and honest in our part, there's some that aren't going to see it because they're blind. They're blind not with their physical eyes, but with their spiritual eyes. They're blind in their minds because Satan has blinded them. I just, I just want to give you a few things this morning to recognize. Maybe it's for you because Satan has used these used these things to blind you. And may I just remind you, Christians, even though by God's grace and glory we come to visualize and see and know and accept the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, Satan won't just go off and leave you alone just because you're one of them now. (laughs) He'll still try to blind your mind if he can. You don't have to let him, but he'll still try to use some of those old tricks upon you. What are some of the things? How does the God of this world blind the minds of something that is so clear, that is so plain? How is it that your friends and mine and your family and mine, how is it that there's maybe people right here in this service this morning that though hearing from God and from His Word through the preaching of His Word, that if they've never been saved, that they will stand and give an account for those sins, that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why would anyone leave this place today not having that assurance in their hearts? You see, some people are blinded by (laughs) the simple thing that I'll guarantee you, Christian or non-Christian alike, you will have fought with this thing in your life, and you're probably still fighting with it, but it's the very thing that Satan uses to blind the minds of many from the gospel. That's a thing called pride. Many are blinded by pride. Look with me into 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to read this quickly. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him from his leprosy. One went in and told his Lord, saying thus and thus, and said the maid that is of the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth sin unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, stood at the door of the house of Elisha, and Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Naaman was wroth, went away, said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper? Are not the Bana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So well, he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he says to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. He was clean. You see, Naaman, his pride almost destroyed him. I mean, you know, what? These rivers in, in Israel, then, you know, the rivers in Damascus are just as clean as them. Surely, surely, you know, if, if that would work, then this would work even better. You find that that wasn't the point. Elisha had, by the message of God, said, You wash in this river and you do it. This many times, Naaman was trying to reason it all out. You know, on the one hand, it all seemed a bit simple. Well, I thought that surely the man of God would come out and he'd say something in the name of the Lord and he'd take his hand and he'd wipe over it. Surely he'd do something like that. But he sends a messenger to me. He tells me to go down into the river and wash seven times and that river down there is dirtier than the one I left at home see, Naaman was struggling. Many today are blinded because the simple truth of the gospel is that they are a sinner. And that sin can only be cleansed in one place. And that's at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only place that it can be cleaned. You can come up with all kinds of rational ideas. Well, if, if that would work, surely this would be even better if I did this or this or the other. We find that, folks, Jesus is the only way. And it's his shed blood that's the only cleansing agent for sin. Man struggles, first of all, in admitting that he's dirty and that he needs to to be washed in the first place. And then with the simplicity of doing it God's way, of actually bowing down and admitting, you failed. You need God. And you need God to do it His way. I'm saying to you that it's a simple thing. And if you're even half honest with yourself, you know that you struggle with pride a lot of times. You want to do things your way and you've got a better idea and you've got all these things figured out. But I'm saying, folks, that's one of the things that this God of this world uses to blind the minds of them that are lost. What else? Men are not only blinded by their pride sometimes, but oftentimes they're blinded by their piety. (laughs) People sometimes are blinded by their own goodness, by their own righteousness, if you would. We find that it's not unusual. You know, there's a lot of good people in this world, and they do a lot of good things for a lot of worthy causes. And that stuff isn't bad, but that's not saving righteousness. That's not what it requires for a person to become a child of God. doesn't matter how benevolent they are. It doesn't matter how helpful they are. It doesn't matter how compassionate they are. People sometimes, they can look at themselves, and by comparing themselves with other people, They surely are not just good, but sometimes great people. But the truth is, it was the prophet Isaiah that said to us in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fate as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Folks, we're not saying that doing right is wrong. We're not saying that it's not a good thing. The problem is, is the righteousness that will save our souls. The righteousness that we need in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God himself. Because when he says we've all sinned, he says all have sinned and come short of of the glory of God, not short of the glory of man, not short of any other human being. i said it many times, you could be somebody somewhere on this earth in all these years has been the best person that's ever lived, the most righteous human being that's ever walked this earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yet that person's righteousness, all the good that they've done, as great and as grand as it might be, that's not saving righteousness. That's not what they need to get into heaven because it's not the righteousness of man that they've come short on. It's the righteousness of God himself. We find that Satan will use this to blind people's minds because they can hear the gospel. They can hear the fact that all have sinned but they see in themselves their own righteousness, their own goodness that many times, yes, can be far above that of those that have even been saved. It ought not to be, but in the flesh it can be. The truth is the God of this world can blind the minds of people because of their own pride, because of piety, their actual goodness, them being so good that they fail to see their real need for a Savior. I want to say that men are blinded not only by pride and piety, but the God of this world can also blind men by their possessions. Their possessions. Luke chapter 18, again we find a familiar passage that we'll just glance at. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. It's pretty self-explanatory. In Luke chapter 18, notice what it says, picking up in verse 18. He says, and a certain ruler asked him saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. He recognized recognize me as God? <laughs> thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All of these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Where it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They that heard it said, "Who then can be saved?" He said, "The things which are impossible with men are possible with God." You see, Jesus loved this man. Matter of fact, we won't turn there, but in, in Mark chapter ten, where the the same account recorded in Mark chapter 10, verse 20 and 21 says, And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou likest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. Jesus loved him. This man obviously had a lot of things right. Right. In his life. Matter of fact, from the sound of it, he had most things right in his life. He seemed to be living a good life when it come to goodness and righteousness and morals. He was following the commandments of God. He clearly must have been a good, successful businessman. And he had accumulated a lot of possessions, a lot of wealth, a lot of riches in this life. But there was still one thing missing. There was still something that he needed. And there was one thing came between him and the Lord. Folks, that was his earthly possessions, simple and plain. Jesus tells him a great truth. You know, we can build treasure up on this earth or we can build treasure up in heaven. This young ruler had clearly done a good job of building up here upon this earth. You know, there are a lot of people down here that may not be very wealthy in man's eyes, but all they're building up their eternal treasures. This life, I don't care how many years we're blessed with, it's pretty short. When you start getting my age, you realize just how quick it's going by. (laughs) It's pretty short. But if we're not careful, we could spend all of our efforts... Focused upon worldly possessions. You know, folks, we don't have to be poor, but what Jesus has shown them here, that it's, you know, it's, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because the God of this world will use those possessions to blind the mind. Did he not see his need for the Lord Jesus Christ? The God of this world, people's minds are blinded. They're blinded by one other thing that I want to give you this morning. And I guess this one is sometimes one that <laughs> people struggle with the most from the old life to the new. People are blinded by pride, by piety, by possessions. But people are blinded simply by pleasure. <laughs> pleasure. Worldliness. We find that in Second Timothy chapter four, verse ten, the apostle Paul said, For Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Demas has forsaken me. The word here literally means he's just completely abandoned me, he's deserted me, he's utterly forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world. Now, we don't know. Could be that Demas never really got over his love for the world when he came and made his profession. We've certainly seen that in people's lives come and say, oh, yes, I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and then maybe even head out on that path. They've never cut their strings with the world. Their lives for the world, those things that they've enjoyed in the flesh, still got a hold on them. They still like, enjoy, love, a lot of those things. And yet, you know, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and your possessions and your wealth and the, this world. You've got to make a choice. Of course, again, like most of these, this can be a problem for saved people and unsaved people, but we're primarily trying to focus here this morning on why that people's minds can be blinded to the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world has always been one of the greatest temptations. And even once a person becomes a Christian, it's one of the things That's one of the great temptations that Satan will keep putting before people and putting before people, look what you're missing out on over here. Look at all this fun you could be having here. Look what you could be doing over there. Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. must have been hard for Paul to write that. I mean, he was an apostle. He was a missionary. He was sold out to God with his life. It would have been a lot easier to say, Demas is not able to go with me anymore because he's sick and he's under the weather and he's got to rest and he's this, that, or the other. But to say, he's turned his back on me, he's forsaken me, and God. Why? Because he loved the world too much. That must have been hard for him to write. It must have been hard for him because we know, in reading the, the, the Apostle Paul's life, We know that he wasn't one for compromise. And if he wasn't one for compromise himself, it certainly wouldn't have been easy for him to understand compromise in others around him. How could he do such a thing? Because his mind had been blinded. Even though he was a worker, he was working with the Apostle Paul, he was involved in the ministry. And yet he had forsaken it all. Why? Because of the pleasures of this world. Folks, we can't kid ourselves. This world can show your flesh some pleasure in lots of different ways. But it's temporary and it's an awfully high price to pay. I'm saying you can know something that far exceeds the pleasures of this flesh by having a peace and an inner joy and that within. We need to stay away from the sins of this world. We need to distance ourselves from them. They ought not to have a part in our lives. We ought to be able to say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only but unto all them also that love His appearing. You see, the problem is, too many, it's more important when they go to leave this world that they can leave a will, leaving behind worldly possessions, leaving behind things that will bring pleasure in this world rather than leaving this world knowing that we've done what God had for us to do, that we finished what He's given to us, that our treasures are awaiting in glory where they will not go away, where no thief can get them, where they'll never corrupt whatsoever. In closing, I'd like to read the words of John Gill concerning this passage. He says, The words for I am now ready to be offered or poured out as a libation or a drink offering or as the blood was poured out at the bottom of the altar, which is expressive of martyrdom and most likely was used because the apostle knew what death he was going to die, for which he was ready. He was ready. And this sacrifice of himself was not to atone for sin, his own or anyone else's. Christ's death was the only sacrifice for sin, and that is a complete one. and needs no other to be added to it, but this was in the cause of Christ and for the confirmation of the gospel and the faith of the saints in it. And this was an offering acceptable unto God in whose sight the death of his saints is precious. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints when one of the saints come home. He or she is coming as a result of Christ's purchase on the cross. When you look at it from God's standpoint, it puts you on shouting ground to think of the creator of the universe loves us so much that he would send his son to buy us out of the slavery of sin and set us free to be with him forever. He wants our fellowship, and when we die, we come into his presence to fellowship with him forever. Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. The word departure, according to Strong, is a metaphor drawn from loosing from the moorings and making preparations to set sail on the sea. The apostle Paul knew when the Romans cut off his head They were actually cutting the chain that fastened him to the anchor and cut him loose to set sail on the sea of eternity. Immediately, he was in the presence of Jesus whom he loved and served. I think when Paul showed up in the presence of the Lord, he probably said, Lord, that was just like you said. Death didn't even have a sting to it. Why should that surprise us? Jesus said he took the sting out of death. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. I think he said it well. You know, do we really believe what we read? It is a definite fact that one of Satan's great tactics is to blind the mind of people to their need of Christ. And if he can do that, he'll take them captive for all of eternity. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It's there, it's prepared for the devil and his angels. This place called hell. He wants to take you right along with him. He wants to make sure. You see, go back to where the Apostle Paul started in this passage. We're not using craftiness, we're not being deceitful. We're using the truth to present the truth of the gospel. The God of this world, however, he's the crafty one. He don't care if he can get you to believe a lie or he don't care if he can blind you from the truth using anything that he can in this world. What he wants to do is keep you from seeing the truth because the truth is what will change you. We find that whether it's pride Piety, possessions, pleasure, that's just four I'm giving you this morning that are around us every day. I told you this wasn't theologically deep stuff. If you're here today, and if your mind has been blinded to the wonderful gospel and what God wants to do for you, maybe that's by one of these things, maybe it's by something else, but the devil doesn't care. He's the one that's getting the victory. Are you willing today to admit you're a sinner? you're lost. There's only one way that your sins can be forgiven. That's by admitting your sinfulness to God Himself. He's the one you're accountable to and accepting His gift of salvation. That Jesus Christ died and shed His blood for your sins. That He rose the third day, conquering death for you. That one day whether you leave via the grave or whether you hear when the trumpet sounds, that He can come back for you. You can have all of eternity to spend with Him. Father, you know the hearts of each individual here this morning. And Father, in a congregation, in a group even this size, we realize that, Lord, there's probably most definitely those here this morning that have never been saved. Maybe they've heard the gospel. Maybe they've heard the truth. Maybe they've read it. But maybe their minds have been blinded by the God of this world. Because, Lord, if they haven't seen the glorious light, because their minds have been blinded. Lord, I pray that you would use the power, the power of the Holy Spirit through his word to speak to their hearts today. That the blinders might be taken off. They might recognize their condition. And, Lord, for each every one here as believers, oh, Lord, help us, remind us what's important in this life, how important it is that those around us, so many of them, their minds have been blinded by all of these things. Lord, you want to use us many times. Speak through us to bring the truth to them. Help us to be your willing servant as the Apostle Paul was here.